Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and since 2016, Monica Shimonik has been coaching moms and dads as they navigate through the treacherous waters of the family law racket. Aside from workshops, which helps with specific problems, her 12-week signature course, The Best Interest of the Parent, uses a four-quadrant model to create a robust healing and empowerment system so that you control the narrative in your life, not the state. Use coupon code SLAMTHEGAVEL to get 10% off her course, and that will be in the podcast notes. I have a wonderful return guest on. His name is Dr. Mark Roseman. He is an expert and international speaker in high conflict divorce, parental alienation, and child custody. Also, Dr. Mark Roseman is the CEO of the Toby Center for Family Transition, a child reunification program based in Florida, which was founded in 2010, and it's coming up on its 10-year anniversary. He's also a mediator and consultant with family members enduring social and personal stress. Dr. Mark Roseman has founded the complementary use of different clinical and non-clinical modalities to be most effective in ameliorating these difficulties. Dr. Mark Roseman also founded Preserving Family Ties Media, LLC, an educational media and service company offering support groups and coaching for targeted family members. Also, he is a publisher of Contemporary Family, a quarterly digital publication, which is a very excellent resource providing global resources for effective parenting. Topics addressed include parental alienation, high conflict divorce, as well as child custody. He has also written the book Preserving Family Ties. And this is really going to be a great conversation. Um, and this magazine also provides education supports for parents. And so I welcome you, Dr. Mark Roseman. How are you doing? I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Uh, Marianne, and, and uh, I'm grateful for your support to all of us in the field trying to make a difference. Well, thank you. I'm trying. <laughs> and it's like you're trying too. You've got a lot on your plate. And um, the summer issue of Contemporary Family Magazine just came out, and it's excellent. Thank you. Thank you. You know, how, how hard is that to put together? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> that's a lot. You know, there was a lot in that magazine. Yes. Well, you know, uh, two things. Uh, I, I, I immediately come to mind. One is that um, there are clearly uh, needs to share one's voice. And uh, uh, most of our articles are prepared by practitioners or by child advocates with experience in the field either personal experience, professional experience, uh, and really see that the information that they, they have, the knowledge that they've acquired, uh, the, the practice uh, 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 that, that they provide either through law or psychology, uh, as well as uh, uh, in government, you know, matters. And so, all of our voices are needed to connect. So you have to have a presence and you have to have the ability to express. And, and so uh, I've been fortunate in being able to uh, reach out to people uh, and, and to have people learn of this effort, Contemporary Family Magazine, that allows people to share their, their voice so that others internationally 
uh, are able to to learn what is happening in different countries, what is happening in different fields, what can they use uh, in their own court cases, or what can they use to improve their practices. And I've been very fortunate that uh, I've, I've been able to offer such a tool. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it was excellent. It's um, your magazine this summer was just, just full of great information. There was a writer from Ireland as well in there. I'm sorry, I cannot forget the I forgot Dr. The name. Dr. Barry. Dr. Yeah. Patricia Rolf Barry. Yeah. Barry yeah. Rolf. And uh, it's very interesting, their viewpoints, and it's just so helpful to these parents. You know, um, the, the whole goal uh, uh, that, or, or my vision, uh, which continues to evolve, Marianne, you know, <laughs> I look at what others are doing. I look at what I feel needs are, and you know, and and if you don't make the effort, nothing happens. So, uh, but I did create an idea, and hopefully, if you have listeners uh, from uh, from countries where we don't have representation, they would like to become uh, and serve as regional ambassadors for contemporary family. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we have nearly a dozen regional ambassadors. Uh, in Europe, North America, uh, Venezuela, South Africa, uh, and the Mideast. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and the role of a regional ambassador is someone who, either as a professional or as a child advocate, can better network and reach out to professional organizations and to practitioners uh, in their country. Uh, and invite them to uh, share their work. And, and so that's, that's been one of the uh, important uh, fundamental uh, premise that uh, has been a guide in my reaching out and, and trying to provide an international perspective of family. Right. And um, I know there's people out there that just don't believe, uh, well, they think parental alienation is a phenomena and it just doesn't exist. It's used and twisted in many ways. And um, until I, I always tell people, until you experience it, then you'll know it. Yes. You know, and I think if you look at it's funny because uh, as we're speaking, I'm 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 making notes of your comments and and thoughts that you know are are listed in in my brain, and uh, but uh, if we uh, think of our our maturation mm -hmm. in the field uh, with with any concept that people have not experienced, do not know, deny, and, uh, and disavow, um, it, it, it has a great chance for them being affected directly or secondarily, either themselves or uh, to a family member or a friend or a neighbor. Um, and, uh, but once you become, you know, afflicted, Mm -hmm. You begin to question what is and why, and mm -hmm. then after you question, then you become an educator. You want to educate 
your doctor, your attorney, your therapist, and then you want to advocate for help and change and direction and recognition. And the whole process that we have of acknowledgement, recognition, and support, which I write about in my book, and thank you for mentioning preserving family ties, but um, we can get hung up in labels. And in my editorial, uh, in the summer issue, I write about the misnomer, the misunderstanding of the use of labels and not to get hung up in labels, whether it's parental alienation or narcissistic personality disorder, you know, or borderline personality. Don't get hung up in labels because the courts don't give a darn about labels mm -hmm. they, because then they argue over it. It becomes a matter of, of their own uh, legal process, and that is argument. And you imagine bringing family issues into a court that is founded on the principles of argument? Families go to court. It's the only recourse for most that we have. Mm -hmm. There should be more of mediation. And mediators are, if they're not attorneys, and they should not be attorneys, that's another argument. But, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right? But, a, but a mediator can help in expressing and conveying um, understandings in a way that a judge cannot order or, or cannot uh, react to. But parental alienation is simply a label of a spectrum of bad behavior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Behaviors that inhibit relationships between children and, and parents. A parent who is either considered a non-residential or a non-custodial, or in Florida, they call it the absent parent. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how disgraceful such terminology is? And yet that's the reference in uh, Florida. So I say labels, forget labels, look at what the dynamics are. And if the dynamics are toxic, poisonous, wrong, criminal, you stop them, you mitigate them. And, uh, and anyone that wants to argue parental alienation, let them waste the time. I don't care. What I care about is action. And the action is to protect a child's emotional health, preserve their relationships with both parents, and particularly align the, align the child with a parent who is most likely to protect the child and, and who wants to preserve the relationship with the other parent. Mm -hmm. And the courts, sadly, in general, do not, do not care, do not know, do not want. Um, and they can, many do, but most are doing what they think is most expeditious. Mm -hmm. But that's another issue. <laughs> right. Is, yeah, there's so many issues. I, I know that parental alienation can happen in an intact marriage. Yes. And that's particularly scary. It is. It is. Um, why, 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 why do you mention that? Well, I was watching, you know how you watch these Netflix movies. Okay, so there was a movie, it was 
um, Stephen King had written it. They made a movie. It's called 1922, I think it was called. And the father had it in for the mother because she was going to inherit a bunch of money. And he was a farmer. And so they had a son who was probably 14 or so. And they showed a scene where the mother was telling the son in the driveway, don't do this or that. And the father was looking out the window and, and the kid could see the father and the father's just looking down at the kid and just like shaking his head like, you know, and then the kid just sassed his mother and walked away. And it's like, oh, this, this is happening in intact marriages, even though I don't want to, you know, ruin how it turned out the movie, but you know, this is happening in intact families. Marianne, I think you should invite Stephen King to a podcast and have that conversation with him and ask him where that comes from, mm -hmm. observations, personal experience, and what advice, what, did, what would he want people to learn and, and, and take away from that film, which I've not heard of uh, or, or seen, and uh, I'm going to make note of that. Yes, 1922 on Netflix. I hope it's still on Netflix, but I was like, when I saw that scene, um, you know, with the, with the kid just looking at his father going, yeah, you know, and sassing his mother and walking out down the driveway, and she was like, what? <laughs> you know. Um, but, but, you know, we, um, you were right. And, and, and so what is, what is the significance of parental alienation? It's abusive behavior, mm -hmm. abuse. And if that's the case, we know that the rates of domestic violence, which also includes not only physical, but emotional abuse through control of finances, control of time, uh, demands, punishments, um, uh, berating, this had been endemic, certainly before the social freedom rallies of the 60s, 1960s, not the 1860s, right? Mm -hmm. And so long, and now we see the reversal or the attempt to reverse women's choice in Texas. Uh, and, and so you wonder, you know, in terms of what women's needs, women's roles are, their, the perception of women still today, and not only in, uh, in their continuing efforts to for equality and equal pay, uh, but also uh, to be uh, less vulnerable, mm -hmm. be uh, fewer victims of abuse. But here's an, here's an interesting aside. Um, Dr. Sanford Braver said, or uh, found in, in studies he made just 20 years ago, just over 20 years ago, uh, in his book, Shattering the Myth, he found that the rate of domestic abuse was nearly equal perpetrated by women against men as men against women, as wives against husbands and husbands against wives. Uh, and and it had that had been underreported in much of the research. 
his research, and he was a so he is he's retired now. He's a professor emeritus. He is a uh, uh, a social uh, psychologist uh, who uh, had helped uh, bring the uh, the valued research we have today from Arizona State University. Uh, but this is what he found that the rates of domestic abuse is uh, is nearly equal perpetrated by moms and dads or husbands and wives. And uh, men are reluctant to report uh, uh, their own victimization uh, compared to women. And many women, in fact, it's believed that uh, a large majority of women who are themselves victims underreport uh, uh, abuse. So, uh, but the, the nature of families today is uh, remains uh, uh, for many very, very, uh, very challenging and very tragic because of the treatment by one uh, of the uh, spouses towards the other. And uh, uh, but it's different than it was a hundred years ago because a hundred years ago there was more acceptance of it, although it was quieted. And now. It's more overt, and uh, there's been great, great efforts to identify and to and to uh, and to and to stop it. But uh, it's it, it's you're right. Parental alienation, or the the behaviors, the, the creating of alliances is really what parental alienation is. Is creating an alliance, and parents will do this. Why? That's a question you may want to ask. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, I have also found, um, I don't know if parents talk to you about this, but even their in-laws, like their mother-in-law or their father-in-law, can be a big problem in their marriage that also perpetuates this parental alienation. I don't know if people have talked to you about this. Well, I experienced it personally. Oh, yeah, now, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I am a targeted parent for, well, since 97 at the time of my separation. But we need to know that these factors were present, as you have stated. They, they, but they have been present before the couple splits. Mm-hmm. To be, it doesn't happen like this. It happens gradually for most, and it accelerates for most. And then, once the split occurs, then the rates and intensity of that alliance building with the children escalates. Right. And then it starts really escalating in a courtroom, which is horrible. It is. It is. You know, and um, I don't know. It's, you know, I have tried to, I don't know if I told you this, but I've tried to talk to judges. No one wants to talk to me. <laughs> so, you know, um, it's just uh, hard to get in there and talk to people and educate them. Well, if I may, I'd like to make one suggestion, which I have not done, but uh, I may have tried like eight years ago or so. Uh, but every court circuit 
if not every state on a state level, has a retreat for their judges. And that retreat may be an opportunity to present, to present on family issues. And if you, if, 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 if an advocacy organization, as opposed to an individual, says, uh, we have a curriculum, we'd like several presentations, or we'd like to present on the subject to help ease the burden of the judges in the courtroom, ease the burden of the judges who really don't have enough experience in this field, and ease the burden of the judges in making decisions in court orders, uh, uh, I think that there might be some reception to that. But seeing judges individually, that's, um, that's highly unlikely. Mm -hmm. it, it all depends on uh, if you have a connection within the bar, the bar association, the, the, the local uh, professional lawyer association, the, the bar association. You have, if you know someone who can make an introduction, that that's the only way I think that you'll have more effective response with individual judges. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, it's too bad they can't get a copy of your contemporary family magazine. <laughs> I think that would be well, helpful to them. I, I, you know what, I, um, if there are listeners who may like to do that, our publication uh, can be ordered in print. Um, if you visit our website and, and then go to the connection to Flipsnack, which is the platform hosting the digital version, there, are op there is an option to print the magazine. And you can print that magazine uh, and have it mailed uh, to yourself or to uh, the uh, to your court. You can print out multiple copies. Um, there's a printer affiliation with Flipsnack that is international. So these are printers in every continent from Asia to North America that will print anything uh, and also distribute through the mails hard copy. So I get a hard copy of our of our, of our publications. But if anyone wants to, they can request, they can also make a, a print subscription to the magazine. And um, which I would encourage if you, if, if you like the, the tactile element of, of reading, which I prefer, and also be able to distribute it. But also preserving family ties, there's, if I can relate one, one case in uh, Wyoming, uh, someone very active, part of a, uh, uh, a small advocacy organization on shared parenting wanted to educate the uh, representatives uh, in the state capitol. And they ordered over 200 of my books, paperback edition, and uh, wanted me to autograph them and then reship them, which I did. Um, and uh, and they, were, they were hand delivered to all the representatives in the capitol. And, uh, could have been state senators as well as state representatives, but um, that uh, that book has um, much of the fundamental research on child outcomes when parents separate that judges need to know and legislators need to know, particularly those who want to uh, 
have uh, documentation and reasons for supporting a shared parenting because that that will positively affect uh, child outcomes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, they need to know what is really going to happen when this is all over with and what's going to happen with this target parent and they're going to lose this relationship with their child. That's right. And, 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 and research shows that the um, uh, court orders are going to impact the family for up to six generations. Marianne, that's 150 years, if you 25 years to a generation. And if my math is right, it's 150 years. Mm-hmm. And, and so every judge needs to know this. And if you and a listener wants to communicate anything to a judge, create a toolkit, a, 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 uh, a three by five or a four by six card with a couple of points that a judge needs to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. And if you were to do that and distribute it, that might be effective. And if you do so, and in your communications with anybody, let them know that every court decision can have a positive or a negative effect on a family, and the negative effects will impact that family for up to six generations. That is a heavy burden if you're a conscious and compassionate and sensitive person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I would want to be a family court judge because, you know, you've got those people that are really good at lying. and. Um, they're so convincing and they get the kids away from the target parent and they know exactly what to do. Probably because they may have someone guiding them on what to do in a court situation, which is scary enough. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. And you know, the subject of court reform uh, is also something that I address uh, in, in my book, Preserving Family Ties, and in the appendix, I, <clears throat> I propose a, it's a research-based uh, uh, discussion and proposal for court reform that can be done in a modular way. Mm-hmm. Any organization, any group of people, child advocates in any community, any court circuit, can go to the clerk of the court. You want to have a meeting with the uh, the administrator for that court circuit, mm-hmm. and say that you would like to propose uh, a couple of changes that are research based, and you can say that um, uh, should be piloted in that circuit, six months, twelve months. And, uh, and and use use that program from preserving family ties. I think that there will be enough evidence accumulated to show there's a much improved atmosphere, not only for the parents, but the decisions being made by the court, and that would be very uplifting to to the uh, uh, to the jurists, to the attorneys, as well as to the judge. Because 
you know, attorneys, they want to accumulate hours, especially when nearly 40% of people go to court pro se, you know, there's an erosion of, uh, of income for, for some attorneys, uh, but the courts still remain overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And judges frequently rotate to family court and out of family court. They don't want to be in family court. They don't have the experience. It's too argumentative. It's not cut and dry. It's not simple for them. So anything that can be done to improve their process will make it easier on the judge because they're coming to work not wanting to be there. And you know what? As humans, which, believe it or not, judges are, (laughs) they go to court wanting to punish. They want to lash out because they don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. It's not a question of being juvenile. What is juvenile is not in our thinking. What is juvenile is in our behavior. Mm-hmm. And we have to restrain all the thoughts that are not socially acceptable or not uh, uh, you know, appropriate for the environment, uh, the social environment, legal environment, judicial environment, or our climate. You know, don't litter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, our courts are littered. And, uh, and I speak in generalities. There are many who are very positive and good and compassionate. Mm-hmm. But for as many as there are, there are twice as many who really don't feel the same. Mm-hmm. Right. And I also, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but these child psychologists that go into the courtroom and um, they've been snowed by the um, opposing parent, we'll say. And, um, you know, like they'll, they'll order family counseling. But then what happens is the parent that has the kids on that date will just take the kids and not tell the other parent when that date and time is to show up. So how can you have family counseling when you don't have the mother or the father there? And then they go into the, they have the psychologist come into the courtroom and they don't even know what they're talking about. These psychologists need to be educated as well. And I mean, they are a travesty. They are, they're, they're almost as out of control as some of these attorneys that actually want to help with the alienation. You know, what just came to my mind, and this is, we, we are now speaking on the weekend of, and the eve of the 20th anniversary of 9-11. 9-11 for many signifies um, a, a, a vicious attack on our country, a threat to our society, and, and also the bravery and the community building in response to these these attacks, these deadly and and horrific, um, destructive uh, moments in our in our society and our lives. Um, but if you think uh, about military or professionals, as you in nursing, I mean, think of this: you have a situation where a patient needs certain uh, intervention. Uh, uh, assistance, and uh, and you have a, a doctor, uh, it could be a new doctor, or it could be a doctor who has a certain way of thinking, 
and is making a decision based on their weekly visit uh, of 30 seconds to the patient in the hospital um, and does not consult with the nursing staff, does not consult with the case notes that are on a daily basis, does not inquire of the patient more details. And yet they're responsible for making a decision. Mm-hmm. And similarly in the court, you have judges who will permit certain evidence, who will make decisions based on their own incompetence, their own inability to see, their own ability to question. Why? The incompetence is not due to their disinterest. It's their lack of training, mm-hmm. but really want to be there. And if until the courts can be changed, if there is a way that we can judges feel better about themselves personally and better about the work that they're doing, that would make things a lot easier. But psychologists who are court appointed and do not have the experience and do not have the understanding, but they have the reputation. They may have the reputation uh, because they're frequently used uh, or because they're well known Uh, or because they're known to several of the influentials in the case, it does not make them appropriate. Mm -hmm. You do. Well, if you don't have an attorney, good luck to you. If you do have an attorney who does not want to be in court and does not really have a vested interest in your case, I say the same. Good luck to you. It's a crapshoot. And uh, what I would advise is that people in such a litigious circumstance, whether it's what the attorneys call high conflict and what Judge Philip Marcus, a retired family uh, a court judge from uh, Israel says, highly, highly conflicted personalities or high conflict personalities, um, what, what is needed to be done uh, is to make it very Uh, evident that these are moments that have great demands on understanding and truth. And so you need to consult with an attorney who who can help you petition the court to have a specialist who can bring their experience in dealing with high conflict, with parental alienation, with um, uh, domestic abuse. Uh, Those are the people that need to come to the court. You may not be able to remove the other party and you may not be able to change your opinion. So again, I say good luck to you because we need luck in order to pursue a more judicious and uh, compassionate and appropriate finding in that yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, um, I um, I just don't know. I just just feel so discouraged with the judicial system all around. Uh, and uh, so, uh, one of my guests had said that it's 
getting better because older judges are retiring. We're getting newer, younger judges. And maybe if they have been through the system, they will understand what's going on. If they are or were a child of parental alienation, they may be able to see what's being pulled in the courtroom. So there could be hope. Um, you know, that, that's, that's an important um, message. But we also need to realize this. 40% of public school children are products of single parent households. Over 30% of public school children are being treated medically with prescriptions for ADD and ADHD and also behavior problems. Mm-hmm. We are not connecting the dots. Now, a judge today, a new judge, a new attorney, most likely coming from a single parent household, most likely they themselves, there's a 30% chance, let's say 34 of those, probably a 15% chance that those judges have not seen both their parents since they were children. And so it's likely then that those judges have a jaded view of the importance of two parents. After all, they were raised by a single parent. Mm. After all, the other parent was in their eyes likely no good or not interested or didn't love them. Mm. And so being in family court may bring up for them this consciousness. And that consciousness can impact decisions through their own trauma, their own unrecognized trauma. And we need to identify who they are. Mm -hmm. Because if the role of the court is to be impartial, that means we need someone who is emotionally impartial. Mm -hmm. By the way, write that down because I think it's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) You know? You know, I, I Marianne, it's, it's been 23 years since I last saw two of my children, okay? And I, I did see one for three days about five years ago. Hmm. Um, but as a targeted parent, I have learned that killing myself was not an option that was viable, that instead going back to school, studying therapeutic interventions, and creating programs to prevent the losses of our family relationships is what I needed to do. And I devoted my life to doing this, the rest of my life, to doing this. And that role, that work, I will tell you, as I fight back tears, Mm -hmm. that work has given me the most pleasure, mm-hmm. the most reward, and believe me, not financial, mm-hmm. but the most value in, in my life. Because I, I know from having worked with clients, and, and I do, I do individual uh, um, coaching, and I appear uh, as a court witness in family cases, in fact, uh, 
uh, I was a witness in uh, one of the first cases in reunifying children who were threatened with adoption and their parents had been expelled. They were illegal immigrants from Mexico. They overstayed their, uh, their visas. Um, and so I was brought in by the state of Mexico, the country of Mexico, as a witness uh, in, a, in a case. It was, being, uh, it was litigated in Atlanta just before the pandemic. And I hope that they will be able to return to court. But the point is that uh, <clears throat> It continues, this whole effort continues to be painful, to be poorly decided, and there are many facets, as as you've been very, uh, very sound in, in, in bringing out in this conversation. A lot of changes that need to be made still, and I've been in this field for over 20 years. More and more is being understood, but more and more needs to be done. And so all of your listeners, if they want to save themselves emotionally, if they want to have a much better life with or without their children, get fighting for their children, then fight for other children. Mm-hmm. Part of, of a movement, identify what your community needs, what your state needs, and work towards those goals and network with other organizations nationally and internationally, and you can read what is happening internationally and successfully when you read Contemporary Family Magazine. Definitely, because that magazine is a good eye-opener. I'm really glad that is out there. That's an excellent resource. Thank you, Mary. Yeah, and I won't keep you much longer. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, yes. Uh, I, I, I will say that contemporary family <clears throat> um, needs financial assistance. So if there's anyone that uh, may like to advertise their services or may, uh, or may like to uh, uh, sponsor uh, an issue, um, we're not a nonprofit but you can be sure that your your investment of any amount is going to help sustain. Mm-hmm. Buy subscriptions, give them to friends. Buy subscriptions, give us gifts. Advertise, take out classified advertising, or make a, a, a an investment as a sponsor of the publication because we do need that help. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's not an inexpensive uh, effort. Mm-hmm. It's one that I'm committed to, but, um, but I, need, I, I need the help. Mm-hmm. Oh, I understand. I totally yeah. understand. I think it would be good if people bought the magazines and maybe gift wrap it, take it to the courthouse, take it to the judge's chambers and say, hey, I have a present for judge so-and-so. Beautiful idea. Beautiful <laughs> idea. Uh, if people order the print version, it'll take maybe uh, 14 days for them to get the printed version. Order, order multiple copies 
Uh, I think they give a break. Pichot gives a break. We don't make anything from the print version, by the way. Mm. Um, I'm looking for other other printers. If there's any printers out there um, that might like to uh, to print the publication, um, you know, at no charge, we that would be really wonderful. Mm -hmm. We donate those 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 issues to our our advocates internationally. Definitely. Well, I'm so glad I had you on. This was a valuable you, conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm grateful to have been a, a part of it. And I really uh, appreciate you giving me an opportunity to, to speak on these subjects that are so meaningful. And I'll have you back on again. <laughs> and, uh, welcome that. Thank you. Definitely. If, if people have any questions, mm -hmm. you know, they can email you and um, if you'd like, you can forward them. If I may add one thing, Marianne? Sure. Okay. I have a column. I, I, I had a podcast for a year called Ask Dr. Mark. As you might tell, I have esophagitis, which I've been dealing with for uh, almost two years now. But um, I, I do have a column uh, in the magazine. The first issue you might find very interesting. There were questions that were submitted by a high school a researcher, a young woman, senior, she's now in college, but she had a project. And you can read that on our uh, spring issue, questions that come up from uh, the perspective of, uh, of, our, of our children about divorce. Uh, Ask Dr. Mark is a column that will be featured in every issue going forward. You have questions. Uh, dealing with your own case, uh, uh, general questions, submit them. Mm -hmm. I would incorporate them and ask Dr. Mark and we'll be, uh, I'll be uh, delighted. Oh, I was going to ask you one more thing before we part. I just thought of Please. something. Um, do you have people that are married that are thinking something is off and the kid is acting differently towards them? Do you have any, you know, parents that are married contacting you? I, uh, we, we, we have because the Toby Center uh, provides clinical work, as you, you had mentioned, thank you. We do therapeutic interventions, we do supervised visitation, therapeutic visitation, family therapy, individual counseling, and, uh, and, and marital um, uh, uh, family therapy. And, uh, uh, but I, I, I don't recall more than a, a handful of cases that have come to us uh, in wanting to preserve their marriage. And, and that's something that I had wrestled with because the Toby Center really uh, is designed to help, you know, uh, lessen the affect, the negative affect when parents come apart. I want to preserve those relationships. But I think most important is to preserve the marriage, preserve the relationship. And uh, I think that is a page for our website that needs to be made. And I want to thank you for, uh, you know, for through your question now, asking me that. I don't have uh, uh, any data from our own experience, but I think there is no question. The, the nature of the pandemic has, is reported, uh, as reported, uh, has been to delay 
separation, delay, divorce. Mm-hmm. As people become more vaccinated, uh, as people feel a little safer in their communities, more safer, then uh, uh, the rate of uh, divorce is going to be increasing. And uh, I wouldn't say there's a correlation between the higher incidence of vaccination and the higher incidence of divorce, because that's BS. And I uh, personally, I advocate vaccination. And I, I, I would like to encourage people to think clearly uh, about uh, the statistics and make decisions based on those. But uh, with respect to uh, divorce, I, I, I think this pandemic has given people opportunity to pause and to think whether divorce is, is an avenue that they need to take if they get help. And I think reaching out is what needs to be done now. And much of our work, uh, I'd say at least half of it, is through Zoom. It's virtual um, telehealth. And um, so that's, um, that, that's really an important point you've, you've, you've raised, Marianne. And I think that we need to look at it. And I think that this may be something that our child advocates in your audience will want to think about get statistics from your community and present them to the courts and have them understand based on your, and you can do a poll, work with your newspaper and say, I would like, or my organization is looking for feedback on the ideas of separation, the ideas of divorce and the rates of those actions. And if you work with your major metropolitan paper, you may get some data as well as coverage because you've just given a paper another opportunity for a news item. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm proud of myself for suggesting that because I'm going to write that down. That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> See, I'm glad we talked. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I'm going to let everyone know that I'm going to have um, some links in the podcast notes from Dr. Mark to get in contact with him and um, the magazine as well. Um, so I thank you for coming on the show, Dr. Mark. Marianne, thank you. It's, it's always a pleasure and, 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 and clearly an educational experience for me. And I'm grateful to you for your work. Well, thank you. All the power to you, young lady. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Slam the Gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in the family courtrooms that in turn perpetuate parental alienation. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again with Dr. Mark and other future guests and other exciting episodes. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Mark. Thank you. Thank you all. Bless you all. <laughs> <laughs>